Hello, fellow kids, and welcome to another bonus episode of Hello, Fellow Kids, the podcast where your two best buds that you've never met. That's not true because you probably all are people that we've met because we don't have any listeners that it's are strangers. It's a good thing you're taking an improv class <laughs> so you get better at this. <laughs> yes, and. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Welcome to Hello, Fellow Kids. Today's episode is a twofer. It's a twofer. It's a twofer and it's a teenfer. Yeah, we're uh, treading back out into teen waters after the failed attempt that you will never get to listen to. <laughs> uh, and uh, it's a dystopia that someone decided to write in 2018, you know, way after the trend, which, you know, it's a weird decision because everybody's into fairy tales now. Right, fairy tale retellings. Yeah, but I think that's starting to kind of... Yeah, well, it's kind of... A lot of the trends, it's like you write... If, if you happen to already be writing it when the trend hits, yeah. you can stay in the trend. That's really good. Or if you wait quite a while until not only is the trend over, but people don't even think that you're behind the trend. It's just like, okay, you're writing that genre. Uh-huh. Then it's okay again. But there's a, there's always a few years that I think this is kind of in where it's like, yeah. I don't know. It's a little too late and a little too early. Right. Yeah. It, it's like trying to claim things are vintage and retro. And he's like, not quite yet, not quite yet. Yeah. Like the people, in, like uh, when VH1 did like all, of, I love the 70s and 80s. And right. They're like, I love the 90s. And it was like 2004. So they're all right. like, it's like, why are you doing it now? Yeah. That's really weird. Now would be a good time to do I love the 90s. Right. Because it's like enough nostalgia time has passed. Right. For us to be caring about it. Yeah. So yeah, he's, he's VH1 jumping the gun here. <laughs> the books are, by the way, called The Initiation and the Expedition by Chris Babu, and we uh, we did receive these for free from his publicist, which was very nice, and we appreciate that, and we would encourage anybody that is looking for some free publicity, keep in mind that we will, you know, we will say how we feel about it. This it's, is... Okay, I'm just going to say right off that neither of us liked these, but it's not going to be holes-level frustration and screaming. Tunnels. Holes is the good book oh, by sorry. Lewis Scar. It's something else where <laughs> people like dig in the dirt. <laughs> I really sorry. like holes. Right, right. Sorry. It's not going to be tunnels. It's not going to be tunnels. I take that back because I actually really admire the author a lot. I love sideways stories from my side school. Uh-huh. Series. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, my fave. Yeah, so it's not going to be tunnels-level... Hatred, and it's not going to be, like, we're not going to get so frustrated that we don't even release the episode at all, right. like the book we shall not name. Right, and there there are definitely aspects of this that it's I thought were solid. middle of the road. If you're really into dystopia, I'd recommend reading them. It's uh, rather than, like, you know, like, skip the Divergent series, because you might, this might be better. Yeah, as, especially, the, I, I thought the first one was stronger, personally. This, I did, too. So, if, for anybody that is kind of on the fence about this, but they know that they like dystopia... I would explain the first one as Maze Runner meets Fear Factor. And if that sounds like a thing that you are like, I could do that, go ahead and pick up the initiation. Uh, Depending on how you feel about the characters, primarily because the setting and stuff is a lot different between the two books. But if you're digging the characters or whatever, then maybe pick up the expedition. What we're going to do is we're going to focus more on the second book. So we're just going to do kind of a, a shortened explanation of the first one so that we can kind of dig in deeper with the second yeah uh, because the second one is the one that they're trying to be promoting right now and we want to yeah respect that that was yeah that was the preference when they did that but we thought that'd be super confusing because we're all about context on this show that's why we do like the detailed synopses because i've listened to other like book podcasts 
and not to cast aspersions on them because I'm totally not, but sometimes I wouldn't be completely on board with where they're at because I hadn't read the book. Yeah. So I'd be kind of confused. So that's why we do the detailed synopsis. So yeah. that way you have context. And maybe you could even draw your own conclusions from the synopsis we just gave and then just be like, that's kind of weird how you're interpreting it that way, but okay. <laughs> you know, like weird flex, but okay. Right. And I've, <laughs> I've always enjoyed with any sort of like informational stuff getting a bit more than other places might expect to give you so that you can then like what you were saying draw your own conclusions on it right and so that's the approach that we want to take we are covering two books at once and we don't want this to be a three-hour episode uh, yeah, i hope not <laughs> okay. i don't think any of the books that we've done could really justify three hours should we jump right into let's the jump into the initiation all right so initiation Seems to take place 20 to 30 years after our time. Here's the dystopia, and I think it's a... I'll, this is one of the strengths of this of these books, is the world building, I feel. So this dystopia didn't come about from one incident, uh, and children are taught it in school. It's called the conf- confluence, because it's a confluence of, of all these events that had to happen all at once in order for just society to crumble, which is really, really smart, actually. Because it's never just one thing. Yeah, it's way better than they dropped a bomb or the zombies attacked. Right. It's It's just as a really... As much as I like zombies. Yeah, it's just a really yeah. unlucky alignment. Yeah. More realistic, honestly. Yeah, definitely. So, the confluence of uh, events that happened was uh, inequality. You know, like the one percenters, 99. So I was like, oh boy, when I was reading that. Then overpopulation. Uh, cyber terrorism. They broke the internet, so there's like in- information isn't spread anymore. And then it was this big super flu. So you have all that crummy stuff happening all at once. And then the super flu. That, and usually the, the the books go with just the super flu. Right. But it's all like, no, all the... Because it's like, no, we have infrastructure. We'd be okay. Right. But if we didn't, and then that happened. Yeah. Boom. That's it. So our main character's name is Drayden. And he lives in what's known as New America, which is basically Manhattan. It straight up is. You have a map in the first book, and the map is just Manhattan. So Drayden lives in this dystopian world. He's a a nerdy, quiet kid who has, like, one friend. He lives with his mom and his dad. Hey, complete family unit. Hey! Hey! It's like the first time we've seen that. (laughs) But the dad's kind of useless, so no, not again. And Uh, a brother. There's also a brother. And there's an older brother. Oh, interesting that it's a biracial family, interracial family. He's, uh white and korean but apparently he mostly passes as white and his brother looks has the more of the asian influence and i just comment on this because everyone else is super white this felt really white except for like backup characters are all like oh okay that's that's where we're getting the uh they're all white and then he'll explicitly tell you if they're not white i mean because it's new york there should right. be a lot more right <laughs> just be white people <laughs> it's like York's known for is like it's the like this melting pot of all these different like I've been there and you see like all kinds of kinds of different colors and you're just like that's cool yeah because I'm from white bread white bread so it's really good to see other people and know there's more outside your little world anyway uh one night they're all chilling at home and door kicks in and the guardians come in and that's just the police force because around the time the flu went down, they went, like, the whole Manhattan went under quarantine, and there was a big military presence at the time to keep law and order. And then as a result, there's, like, what, what was it, like, 15,000 of the of their population 
Oh yeah, they is, uh, they reiterated at police. the end of the second book. It's like there is a very large number. Yes, it's of... a very it's very military kind of military state is this place separated into zones, but all of them are equal. Even though you don't see what's going on in the other zones, but they all kind of have a small hint that it's not quite equal because the main place is called the palace. You can't have an equal place if some place is called Mother Freaking Palace. Right. We got the palace and the dorms, but they're totally the same. <laughs> I was picturing the palace as like Trump Tower. <laughs> <laughs> it's at, what is it? It's at like the south end of the island, right? Yeah. Because uh, the meadow's up at the top here, and isn't that Central Park? Yeah. And uh, then there's this place called the dorms, which is the lowest of the low, where where all the janitors and like the bleh live. Yeah. And then the lab is where all the doctors and scientists and crap live. The precinct is where all the guardians live. And then there's the palace, which I think like the capital from Hunger Games. Right. Is what this place is. Yeah. So anyway, so they're all chilling at home and the guardians kick down the door and they're there to exile Drayden's mom for plotting against the bureau which is what their government is called she gets she gets dragged away and Drayden's thinking like why she works in a grocery store basically (laughs) (laughs) what could she possibly be doing and he's like and he's sitting there thinking like well I don't I could join the initiation and then I can investigate what's going on with my mom and the mom realizes what he's thinking and is like, don't do it! And she's dragged away to go be exiled to Queens, which I found funny. <laughs> We're gonna exile you to Queens. And it's like, okay, fine, I'll take Queens. Just don't send me to Brooklyn with all the hipsters. <laughs> <laughs> no! <laughs> There's so much gentrification here! <laughs> uh, basically, the initiation is uh, a contest that you enter. You have to answer riddles and be brave and all that crap. If you get through alive, then you get to live in the palace. That's the way to move between the zones rather than just staying where you are because they don't believe in promoting people to hire for some reason. Anyway, (laughs) it's more like this really bizarre understanding of communism or something. I don't get it. Yeah, there is a... Like a little compare and contrast of a couple different civilizations in the second book, and we can talk a bit more about that there. So Drayden's thinking about it, but then he's like, uh, maybe I won't. But his older brother's like, dude, do it. You're so smart. There, you'll, you'll be able to get through it. And he's like, well, there's more than just smart. There's all this, like, you have to be brave, and I'm so not brave. He's like a jujitsu master, but he never uses it. Even though he's very badly bullied by a very one-dimensional villain named Alex, who uh, was a former friend of his. And Alex is... And they grew apart, and Alex has a chip on his shoulder about it, and Alex, get over it. (laughs) I've grown away from friends, too. It happens. You know, you don't have to take it super personal. Though in his case, maybe he should take it super personal. (laughs) Because he started, like, dealing drugs and being in the drug culture, and Drayden's like, Hey, no! Bye! Right. And like peaced out. And then he's like, you betrayed me. He's like, you betrayed me for being a druggie. Don't talk about betrayal here. But anyway, and also a teacher at school, Mr. Kale, when I got a kick out of his name being that. Like, <laughs> he's a lettuce. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to get like emails. That's not lettuce. Let us learn. Let us learn. <laughs> so, yeah. And the teacher at school is encouraging it. And Drayden does a little bit more digging around. And hides in like the they have like a bureau representative for the dorms was it lily hadid was that her name yeah 
So he goes to that office to investigate his mother's exile, and eavesdrops on uh, information that's being imparted. It's secret information, super secret information. It turns out they have these batteries for windmills. That's their power source in this area. But we're getting near the end of the battery life, and so a lot of the windmills are failing. There's not as much power going, so there's a lot. They have to turn out the power in the dorms all the time because they don't dare do it to the people in the palace. Right. (laughs) (laughs) What inconvenience me? But they're totally equal. (laughs) But it's totally equal. And uh, also, as a result of not having as much of the energy, they're also running low on food, so they can't give everyone their allotment of food all the time. So their solution is to just is to just exile people at random. So he's like, oh no, my mom was just a random, she couldn't be just a random exile, like, because she was like really respected in the community, working at the food distribution center, which is just a grocery store. But wouldn't, wouldn't that also make sense that if she was a random exile, then it would be like, it wouldn't matter that she was just in a group. Okay. I don't know. It's it, He's kind of conflicted, just like, but how can it be random? He's like, I need something to be mad at. Right. I can't be <laughs> mad at it if it was totally random. I, there has to be more to it. Especially since when it happened, he turns to his dad and he's like, Dad, she's getting pulled away and you're doing nothing. And he's like, there's a lot you don't know about your mom. And he's like, what the F does that mean? So finally, he's just like, I need to figure this crap out. I can't figure it out in the dorms. I'm going to have to join the initiation. And he's got a ride or die best friend named Tim who's like, yes, dude, you go, I'll go. I'll get you through the brave parts. You get us through the smart parts. We'll do this. Yeah, he's like, he's like maxed out on charisma. Yes. Like, if you were looking at everybody's stats. There's also a girl at school named Sydney who uh, weirdly proposes to Drayden and goes, Haha, just kidding. Because she's just trying to make a better life for her little sister. Yeah. And she's trying to figure out the best way to do that. And uh, they're going to, after they've graduated high school, they're all going to get, uh, they graduate at 16. And then they get handed out their jobs. But everyone knows dorm jobs suck. So she's like, how can I make a better life for my sister? She sees Drayden and Tim go sign up, and she's like, well, I mean, they should, okay, I'll go sign up too, if they are. And also joining the group is a girl that Drayden has a huge crush on named Catrice, that I just was like Katniss every time I read it. But it's, uh, she's no Katniss Everdeen at all. This person is nowhere near as capable and strong. I mean, everyone has their different strengths. I mean, she's she's very... Catrice is very clever. She's like Drayden in that she's very, very clever. But uh, she's a little socially backward and doesn't talk to anyone at school. But apparently yeah. she's really gorgeous. All the outcast people I've ever met have never been really gorgeous. So I'm just like, mm, okay. I, I want to talk about the different... Like, the cast of characters at some point. Okay. Well, mm-hmm. I'm still introducing everybody. Yeah, so Catrice joins... And it's implied that she's there to escape her abusive home life. And then rounding out the group is Alex and his best friend, Charlie, who is just a dipshit with a heart of gold, I guess he is. I I didn't really understand why he hung out with Alex. Yeah. Charlie is a very annoying character, but like, you know where you're at with him mostly. He's right. very very face value. Yeah, he doesn't play the games. No, uh uh-uh, he just can't do it. He makes terrible jokes all the time. Like, actually terrible? Like... Right. Like, like, dude, why did you have to write that for me to read terrible? Where I actually said, (laughs) shut the fuck up out loud while reading. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, they go sign up, and that's where the the man signing him up tells them that 
nobody's taken part in the initiation for 20 years. No, it wasn't 20. It's, it was it's like, like six. It's like two or three. It's, it's been a few years because everybody's just like, it's not worth it. And who knows if anyone actually really gets through. So it's an act of faith, really. They join the initiation and it. Uh, they go down to the subway and they're supposed to get from one station all the way to the next and along the way. They're walking the tracks and I was just like, ooh, stay away from I was like sitting there thinking like, oh god, I don't remember which track it is you're not supposed to touch because it has electricity running through it all the time. <laughs> That's really scary. Which rail is that? The third rail? Third from which direction? Right? <laughs> no. I guess it depends on where you're walking. <laughs> they could all be the third rail. Just don't touch any of them. <laughs> I, I would be in a huge panic like the whole time. And uh, they walk along the tracks and along the way at each station, uh, there's going to be a little test for them to do or whatever. And each, uh, they know that there's going to be tests there because, like, the lights will be on and they'll be able to get up into the station itself and just do it. So they go along and it's basically every annoying brain teaser you've ever read in a book. Right. And I fucking hate brain teasers so much. I was like, I can't figure them out. Like, I automatically, like, brain automatically checks out because I'm like, boring! <laughs> I don't care! Because it's always, like, a trick. And I just, I hate tricks. Yeah, so, like, I think... The I think the hourglass one is the first one. So they come. No, up... it's a laptop where they have to. Oh right! It's like this horrible cipher that I wouldn't have gotten, and you get one chance to get it. And Charlie just stands there screaming it over and over, and it's like punch someone, punch him in the throat, so he'll stop doing it. And he's like inexplicably muscular for some reason, so I don't think it'd be a good idea to punch him in the throat. He says he hangs out with the guardians a lot, and they give him extra food. And yeah, that's why he's like he's like built and like. Everyone else from the, the dorms is scrawny. What you looking up? I'm looking at the different... I'm not going to go through, like, each and every single... No, there are a couple that I wanted to touch on, though. Like... Well, there's a few that are important, like the hat one. Right, the hat one. That was the one I actually understood. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, I can follow these instructions. And then when Alex couldn't, I was like, are you slow? I'm like, yeah. Are you new? So, yeah, they have to answer some riddles. And then there's a few... Of the um, challenges that isn't like, if you mess this up, then you're automatically exiled. Some of them are just like, you get a reward that'll help you with yeah. a later challenge. Like, they do one that gives them sticky gloves, and they're like, what the F? And then they have to, like, rock climb a wall. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, okay, good thing we have these. So, yeah, they do, like, rock climb a wall. They have to answer, like, a cipher type thing. And one of the most horrible ones, like, I think I would have just, just exiled me. I can't do this, is when they had to walk through some... What was this room? It was like this, some like storage oh, they, room or whatever that's filled with had, rats and They had like walled off an entire segment and then just let the rats and cockroaches multiply in there. And so it's like, it's basically the walls and floor are just straight up alive. Yeah. Yeah. I would have just, especially since um, they don't have that good of medicine. So uh, like Drayden once was like incapacitated for like weeks because he got a scratch that got infected yeah. once. So he, so he's really concerned of like, um, this is bad. And, like, the other guys are just, like, just run and don't think about it. <laughs> I can't really blame them for that. So, yeah, they, they have to get through that, and everyone gets chewed up pretty good. But the very worst one is they have to detonate a, uh, take apart a bomb or something. But you only had, like, a certain amount of time to do it, and it was, like, a very exact thing they had to it, do. It was one of those, like, you have to burn the wicks at both ends for the, to <clears throat> figure out time to an exact second. Yeah. And it does not go as planned. But it it was so similar to the hourglass one earlier. I was kind of like, I was kind of confused as to why they just did the same puzzle twice effectively, but just put a bomb in the second one. 
Well, something goes wrong. Like, it shouldn't have, because they did everything right, but he can't get the uh, thing to come out. Yeah. And his friend stays to help him, and he's like, no, run, and then it goes off, and his friend is killed. Yes. And it's pretty horrible. Like, we lost him pretty quick. Yeah. What was, what was it, like, the third or fourth one? It's like, yeah, okay, t- no more Tim. Tim, Tim Dunn got blowed up. Yeah, Tim gets blowed up, but then they have to move on. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's the character I somewhat liked. <laughs> I'm like, okay, shit. Because <laughs> cause he was he was good at organizing everybody and being like, okay, Drayden, tell us where to stand and what to do, and we'll do it. Yeah. And with Tim gone, he has to try and figure that out, and it gets harder and harder because Alex is so combative, and he's useless. He everyone, is. Everyone else brings something to the table, but Alex brings nothing. Right, and that, so the blowtorch puzzle right. i want to touch on that i was so furious okay so there's a, there's a puzzle in there that's effectively the um i was here as like the apples and oranges vending machines i thought more like the um the monty hall problem we show you three doors the prize is behind one of the doors we'll show you you pick one we'll show you what's behind one of the doors do you want to switch your door or not right the yes. they always say switch your door right it's a better right so the price. basic idea is that it's like one box has A, one box has B, one box has A and B. They're all mislabeled, and you can only open one box and receive one item, and from that you're supposed to figure out what the labels are for everything. And so it's blowtorches and boots. So the you the the point is that it's not actually that complicated once you've like done it before and had it explained to you, and they figure it out pretty easily. But Alex is convinced that he understands, and so he chooses the wrong thing. But the thing about this is that they're... He messes up a couple of the different puzzles, but he never explains how he actually... Reached his conclusion. Right, so there's no point where I'm like, okay, you're thinking about it wrong, but you're at least thinking about it. It's he like just he's, selected one. Yeah, he's just... I, gotta, he's, I have a gut hunch about this. Yeah, and it's like, it's it's frustrating because it doesn't even feel like there's any sort of, like, real competitiveness between them. He's just, like, he's just out to ruin things. Yeah. And it's like, when it's a life or death scenario, I did... Yeah. I was really bugged by that because I didn't right, feel like it too. was anything that was, like... It wasn't valuable to the situation. It wasn't like a different perspective or any sort of additional layer. It's just like moron does moron thing yeah. to make plot happen. Yeah, right. Because then they don't have the boots and the blowtorches. So that's why they have to go through that room of cockroaches and rats because they could have just gone around it. But the blowtorches, they would have been more protected because their legs were getting yeah. bitten to crap going through I there. think they could have just cooked up all the rats. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Or rats. Right. <laughs> I mean, like, they're disease machines, but, I mean, burning something alive is horrible. Okay. Anyway, after the infuriating boots one, <laughs> then they go through the rats, and then whatever, and then the bomb. And then after that, there's something ridiculous one with, like, axes coming down, and he has to, like, figure out the exact sequence of the axes falling down to try and get everybody by, and Drayden has to go through it. Multiple times because Charlie and Alex can't see where he, like, they get, he gets to the end. And then the plan was he gets through with the girls. Then he'll signal to the boys, like, okay, go, stop, go, you know. But it turns out, like, the room curved or something. And then, like, they, or they, oh, no, it wasn't the curve. They couldn't hear him. So Drain's like, fine, I'll have to go back through it again. (laughs) And he goes back through it to the boys, helps them through. Uh, Then they have to, like, swim through underwater tunnels which I'm a good swimmer, but like that set off like my claustrophobia so bad having to swim through tunnels and you don't know when you're going to pop out again. Right. Oh, good God almighty. And Catrice can't swim. 
So she has to like hang on Charlie's back because he's the strongest swimmer. I mean, I think Sydney was pretty strong too. Well, he's also just physically just, the strongest. He's, he's physically so the he strongest. So he can bear another like 70 pounds or however much she is because she's, I, I know. right? She's described as like really petite. Yeah, she's so. like spindly and little and like, yeah, so they do their, their swimmy thing. And then the last one, this was scary. They're like, okay, you're at the end, ta-da. And the wall starts pushing in. And there's, and there's like this uh, chasm they have to get across where there's flames underneath it. And I was like, what New York subway system <laughs> is this? <laughs> and they're trying to work out how to get across. And, he, and, the, and like throughout this whole thing, there's been tables like at each stand. But it turns out it's, it, they had the, these particular tables at each one. So it wouldn't be like suspicious when they get to the end and there's the table that it turns out they can take it apart and stack the slats just right so they can walk across the chasm. So they're all getting across, and Drayden and Alex are like the last ones over there. And Alex starts trying to knock him down into the chasm, because his whole game plan this entire time was to kill everybody and so he can get to the palace. So this is what he was trying to do, I guess. Maybe I thought maybe that's why he sabotaged the boots one. So then it would increase the chance that someone would get killed. Because that was a low stakes one of like no one's exiled. Yeah, that happens. And it looks like Charlie's trying to help and Drayden's freaked out. But it turns out Charlie wasn't trying to help. He was just like there. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if I fully believe Charlie, but he's such a dunce. There's no way he was double, you know, was a double agent this whole time. Alex starts to fall. Charlie tries to catch him and Alex falls to his death and no one cares <laughs> except Charlie. And then Charlie starts falling, but... Drayden goes and gets him and they go running up because they're supposed to like get across this chasm and then there's a door that leads like then you're done ta-da and that's where the girls are but the boys are too late for the time allotted and like gate comes crashing down and they're all like no reaching through the, the thing to each other but then they're like well he showed bravery at the last minute saving somebody so we're we'll make an exception and you're you're through everybody wins you've won the factory charlie you know that kind of thing <laughs> so they get put up in the palace and it's like yeah your family's gonna come in the next two weeks i'm like weird but okay because you think you'd have the family there right away and catrice is like i don't want my family to come here ever and they're like all right cool you know this should be like why and maybe get her some like therapy this bitch needs it <laughs> especially <laughs> when you read the second friggin book and uh turns out that they are chosen Ta-da. Yeah, you guys made it. That's tri- that's terrific. Now you get to go on an expedition for us. And they're like, no, we thought we were gold now. And it's like, no, you go on this expedition or you will be exiled and your family will be murdered and all, all that crap. And they're like, I guess we're going on an expedition. And that's where the second book comes in. <laughs> yeah, it's basically setup of the world, a sequence in which there are a bunch of riddles and two people die. And then you're left with the four characters for the sequel is kind of what it amounts to. I did write at one point, the initiation or how to become a hero in eight hours. Because yeah. it's like, it's like just speeding Drayden through this, like, oh, I'm so scared, but I'm really smart. And then all of a sudden he's like, I'm going to rescue you. And even if we don't make it and everything's awful, at least I went back and saved you. And it's, it's just a very quick, like, how to turn them into a hero. Right. I mean, and it's fine enough. I gave it like a low three. Yeah. I was just like, all right. I mean, I didn't want to read it. If I if I'd been reading it of my own accord, I would've been like, not for me and set it aside and read something else. But Yeah. But we had an obligation so I read it. 
All right, now we are ready to go to the yeah. expedition. And so we're going to go a bit more... This is going to sound a bit more like our usual episode in terms right. of breaking it down. It's not me trying to remember a book I read two weeks ago. That wasn't bad. That really wasn't bad. Um, okay. <laughs> I retained quite a bit. So we have the four characters. So we have Drayden, who is the author insert. I'm going to be totally honest. It really feels... Sorry, Chris, it felt that way. Yeah, so it just feels... Because he's like... Good at science. He's, yeah, no, he's he's super smart, and the author, I think, was... And honestly, I feel like he's at his strongest when he's writing the science-y bits. Right. And the smart bits and, like, the problem-solving bits. Right. Like, that's when I felt more engaged with the material. Yeah. So, that was strong. Yeah. I'll give you that. But then he just conveniently also has the only two girls both pining over him. Because Catrice is like, is like, right, I'm super awkward, but like, you think that I'm pretty, and I guess you're pretty okay too, because look how much of a hero you were. And Sydney's like, oh my gosh, you're just like the best thing ever. We should get married so that my sister can be safe, but oh, either wait, way. Oh wait, you feel weird about that. I was just kidding. Lol. <laughs> so that was like. Like those people are like, it'd be funny if we made out. Like, why would that be funny? I know, right? And you're like, what? <laughs> what, that's <laughs> ever happened to you? Just me? Okay. <laughs> I had a roommate who did that, and I was just like, no. To you? Or yeah. to, oh. <laughs> and I was just like, never? And she's like, what? Why? And I was like, because you're awful. And then she laughed. <laughs> so he's like, really timid and really skinny, but he's also really good at jujitsu and also the leader and also super smart. And I'm like, come on, you're giving him flaws, but you're not actually like working with the flaws too much. His one flaw is that he gets jealous, really. I thought he had cause. To be to feel jealous, right? No, I'm not. I'm not saying that it's an unwarranted, but that's like kind of like the only. That's the only like not super heroic element to him that's really ever right. That he's insecure because he had one friend his whole life. Right, <laughs> right. It might. I mean that that kind of feeds into my point, which and is like he's yeah. he's not. It's like you're supposed to be like, oh, he's kind of like. The hapless hero, but he's actually really not. He's like super competent and like right. pretty much everything. He can't shoot worth a darn, but that no. doesn't end up mattering. It really doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. It's like so, everyone else has it covered. So, so there's okay. him. There's Charlie, who is now just his like, I got your back, man, whatever you he's need. The Tim I, now. Yeah, I'm I'm your I'm your strong body. I'm your like Which why didn't he just make him don't even mess with the other Care, like narrow this down a little bit and have him be that from the beginning and just Alex just says Bleh, without a backup of this like Labrador retriever of a human being right it wasn't really necessary no and Alex isn't like Alex wasn't charismatic enough for him to have a follower no he, he was just even kind of yeah he was just dumb he was just like uh he wasn't even like Draco where it's like there's no. some there like like He's awful, but at least there's like this, there, there's a level of like sinister intelligence and charisma about him that's like, it's believable that you have a couple of stupid goons following you and also you have a rich daddy. Um, right. You know? Right. Alex didn't have any of that. His dad was a drug dealer and he's just dumber than the sack that the bricks came in. And <laughs> <laughs> Right. The bricks are going to MIT. Yeah. This guy's duh. And then you have Catrice, who is effectively the damsel in distress. Yeah. She's, like, really smart, but then Drayden, like, is also really smart and kind of, like, overshadows her in almost all of the puzzles in which she could have been smart and helpful. So it's, like, she's also the smart one, but it doesn't matter. Right. It's, like, it's like she was almost useful, and then she really wasn't, and she's just kind of there to push him along and be, yeah. like... And then Sydney exists. 
I know. She doesn't really have any personality <laughs> She has nothing. Traits. She has straight up nothing. I don't even dislike her. I'm just like, give you her can't. something. She doesn't have anything. <laughs> I guess she has like maternal instincts because she was looking after him during the thing. Like, are you like checking in with him? Like, are you okay? And she's like pulled him out of danger a few times. She cares about her little sister. Yeah, but. And she's sporty. But I don't know. That's kind of it. That's all, those aren't personality traits. You know? <laughs> that's just. Yeah, so you'll see in my description here how incredibly vital to the plot she is. So let's just start off from the top well, of the Well, she started segment. to have a thing, but then someone else came in and... Dude, I, I, yeah! How irritating was that? <laughs> Alright, so... Okay, here we go. So, okay, here we go. Go. Alright, the expedition. Chapter 1. The four survivors of the initiation are halfway through their two-week training session at the palace prepping for the expedition that we talked about at the end of the last book. Drayden is a terrible shot, and he still has a wounded ankle from, I don't remember, oh, it was he when he fell off, off the, the wall. Yeah. yeah. And he has made no more progress on finding information about his mom's exile since he arrived here. He's also concerned that Catrice will stop liking him now that the initiation where he got to show off how smart he was is behind them. Oh, valid. Um, he expresses these concerns to his doctor, a woman named Shani, who is giving him his dose of the Aero vaccine. Uh, before Charlie interrupts them in his piggish way and announces a bureau meeting in 30 minutes. Chapter 2. The initiates meet with Harris Von Brooks, the man in charge of planning the expedition. He explains the plan. The teens and a group of trained guardians will head to Boston by boat and attempt to make contact with any survivors that might be there. The expedition will also test the viability of their aero vaccine, and uh, hopefully they won't done get dead from the virus if it is still active out there. Chapter 3. The initiates meet with Sam, the scientist helping them prepare for their trip. I kept naming these people because I thought we would come back to them and then we, we don't. didn't. You need to remember the names of six people. Four initiates and then two Von of the Brooks. guardians. Von Brooks is pretty Okay, important. yeah, yeah. So seven. The initiates meet with Sam, the scientist helping them prepare for their trip. She gives them a final rundown of their boat. Why did I write exposit? That is not the word that I meant. I don't know if I've ever intentionally chosen to use the word exposit, and I don't know what it replaced. <laughs> I think it was explains. Explains their survival procedure. Meanwhile, Drayden is looking for a way to postpone the trip so he can search, keep searching the palace for info on his mom. Uh, and for a brief moment, he thinks he has a chance when Sam shows him that they also have uh, created these uh, really high-tech radio-controlled planes that they could theoretically... Uh, fly out there with messages and receive information that way instead of sending people out. Uh, however, those won't be ready for another few weeks and he doesn't think that he's going to be able to delay it that long. Uh, after the meeting, the teens are stopped by Dennis Robinson, the new liaison for the dorms, uh, after Thomas Cox, who worked with Lily Hadid. Uh, and was dropping down all that information. Yeah, he was the other one in the, the meeting. And he was conveniently uh, killed. Yeah. So now that there's this guy named... Dennis and who, who hits on the girls or something they're like ew he's old he's like 30 and right. they laugh so hard <laughs> <laughs> but I mean for them being like 16 17 pretty totally old to valid yeah, I'm like you're a gross pig <laughs> um and then in private Dennis slips Drayden a note from Lily Haddad the leader within the dorms and oh, it's Haddad said, not Hadid yeah sorry it's okay I forgot as well uh it, it doesn't matter <laughs> The note says, memory is a fragile thing, a bee's honey, and its sting. Chapter 4, a meeting with Von Brooks to delay the expedition goes awry, and afterwards Drayden is tailed by a woman who corners him and repeats the, the little poem. 
chapter five, she reveals herself to be Kim Craig, head of surveillance in New America, and also part of the same rebel alliance as Lily. And this is the group that is planning on hopefully overthrowing the Bureau. Yeah. What, what's his name? Uh, Proust? Proust? <laughs> I don't remember. What was the, what was the, what's the guy's name that like the head of it all? He'd, he'd pretend to, like, have, like, a crummy office when he does does his, like, televised, televised uh, messages. But his office is actually really shway. Yeah. And, it's, like, super cool. It's, like, all gold everything. Yeah. Uh, Premier El, uh, Eli Holst. Holst. That's it. Yeah. Not Proust. <laughs> you were thinking Premier and then Holst. Yeah, right. So I see how you did that. Kim offers Drayden the chance to join their cause, which he accepts, provided that Kim helps him find truth about his mother's exile. In the meantime, Drayden decides on his next move, confronting Nathan Locke, who we didn't really address, but he uh, supposedly had an affair with Drayden's mother. Yeah, and... I think Wes saw them. Like, his, yeah. his older brother saw them and was like, dude, right. like, mom was stooping the boss. And he's like, mom would never do that! Right. So he has offices in the palace, and Drayden wants to go confront him and be like, listen, I know that you were doing secret hanky-panky with my mom, do you know why she got exiled? I bet you did it. Right. Chapter 6. Drayden finds Locke in the food distribution center. He is accusatory, but Locke keeps a level head explaining that one, an affair isn't a one-person decision, and okay. two, Drayden's mother had accepted Locke's offer to leave her husband and take her sons with her to live with Locke in the palace, uh, and this is what she was planning on doing right before she was exiled. Reeling from this, Drayden leaves and ponders why the conversation with Locke and Premier Hulse's previous explanation of how the Exiles work doesn't sit well with him. It's a very large, like, put a pin in it message for the reader. <laughs> Chapter 7. The teens are introduced to the four guardians assisting them on the expedition. Captain Lindrick, uh, Lieutenant Duarte, who is very not into them. Sergeant lately. <laughs> <laughs> Sergeant Greeny, who exists. He seems nice enough. Yeah, but like he doesn't really talk to them a whole lot, so it doesn't no. end up mattering either way. Well, I mean, he probably shouldn't have been. And Corporal Eugene Austin, who is like super in awe of them and is just like, oh I my gosh. I made him in two seconds. As soon as he laughed at uh, Charlie's joke so hard, I was like, nope, this guy's a fake. <laughs> no one will find it that funny. And uh, Drayden doesn't like how Catrice seems to be interested in Austin. Because he likes drawing. In a kind of calculus I've never heard of in my life. Stoculus calculus? What was it? Sto Stockholm? <laughs> yeah, Stockholm's calculus. Staff infection calculus. <laughs> it's something I've never, ever heard of, but I'm not a math person, so big, big surprise there. Chapter 8. Drayden meets with Kim again. She offers him advice for the expedition and suggests he tries to find her aunt, Ruth Diamond, if they arrive in Boston and find any survivors. She also gives him an envelope that... He should only open if he returns to New America and finds Kim dead. Finally, she updates Drayden on his mother's exile. It was not random, and the last chancellor to view her file was Nathan Locke. He suddenly understands why his conversation with Locke seems so fishy. Chapter 9, Drayden tries to confront Locke again, but is denied visitation. The <laughs> teens get word that their families are being prematurely relocated to the palace and will arrive before the expedition to say goodbye. Uh, I'm going to stop us right there, because that that's a lot of chapters. But here's the thing. <laughs> none of this matters i didn't realize that until like just now when i was going back through all of the things that happened except for the explanation of their mission which is pretty simple take a boat to boston 
talk to any survivors and hope to find batteries. And the fact that they meet their four guardians, those are the only things that come back for the rest of the book, pretty much. Yeah. Um, well, how about in the first book when he catches that guardian dra- dealing drugs and then the guardian looks for him? That never comes back either. Yeah. Did you forget about that till right now? Yeah. Because I did. Yeah. <laughs> so all of those names that I told you, those don't come back. Nope. This is obviously not the end of the series. When you end this, you know that there's at least one more coming. But here's the thing about that. There's a certain way that you can provide loose ends and kind of hint at the reader, these are supposed to stay loose right now. We will come back to it in the next volume. There's a way that you can message, like telegraph that, as opposed to what I feel like was happening here where it was telegraphing, you're going to figure this out by the end of this book. And then it didn't happen. And it's like, Okay, but, so why did I need all, like, this is, like, the first, like, 75 pages are, like, things that don't matter for the rest of this adventure. And it's, like, why did you front load me with all this information to, like, keep in my head that I'm not going to need to keep in my head? So, let me just look yeah, and see so if I have any like, notes. foreshadowing. Right. Like, but I don't remember that. <laughs> right. It was too shadowed, not enough for. Yeah. But while Josh was speaking, I was tapping the Fable Haven book. That Brandon Mole is the master. Oh, he's of so doing good. That. He's, he's so good. Skillful at that. So good. You're like, wait, that comes back. I didn't mention it in this, uh, but you should know from here to the end of the book, every chapter is going to include at least one sequence where Drayden is wishy-washy about his relationship with Catrice. He yeah. he is not sure if their relationship is going to work, and uh, he is constantly like second guessing everything and like watching everything that she does and being like oh man is she well, like I mean, not into he me he does introduce her to his family as his girlfriend and she makes stink face so he's like oh right maybe i shouldn't discuss right. this with her before right. saying she's my girlfriend right i'm not saying any of this is necessarily like invalid or whatever but just like know that that is always here and sometimes it's so much it's of a the little cha- exasperating there's so much of the chapter devoted to that that the chapter like does nothing to advance the plot or any additional like interesting characterization it's just kind of like, hey, remember how he's not sure about Catrice? He's still not sure about Catrice. But I think he might be into Eugene, too. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so it's here... Like, he's so strong. I made some notes here. Okay, at this point, do you feel like, like the first couple chapters of this, do you feel like Drayden has enough information to question not just the government of New America, but also the uh, veracity of the expedition? Yeah. Okay. Well, he's already seen, like, oh, wait, they put on this show of the the premier's office, make, you know, the, this whole idea of equality. He's like, what's this all actually based on? So I feel like there should have been more suspicions. And why do we need four guardians with us? That's weird. And, and like, what exactly are we trying? What's in those boxes? So... Right. But I, I mean, before before that, like when when they're just like, we need you to go out and figure out batteries, like when that's the extent of their message. That is weird. And especially since it's like we go to the effort and all this trouble to find the best of the best. Why not let him rest up until he's at 100 percent and then go? It's weird, especially when the doctors are saying, yeah, his ankles really screwed up. He needs time to recover. And they're like, nope, boat, get on the boat. And that mission, I yeah, when he gets, I don't understand all right, we'll, we'll get to it in a minute. It's but so... Charlie across two books has one good joke. What, oh, which one was it? Do you know what happened when the red boat crashed into the blue boat? The crew was marooned. That's not a good joke. Okay, but by Charlie's standards, that's a great joke. There's a punchline there. 
Well, like a birthday that's insane. That's one of my favorite the jokes. The anti-jokes, yeah. Yeah, with the yellow, what happens when you throw a yellow rock into the Red Sea? It sinks. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Why did Timmy drop his ice cream cone? Why? He was hit by a bus. <laughs> See, I like that because you expect some stupid play on words or whatever and it's not. Yeah. That's my favorite kind of joke because it exceeds expectations. I What's just... your comparative literature? Is that going to be way later? No, I just want to double check any of my notes before I talk about it because okay. it... I'm just going to read the opening lines of chapter five really quick before I show you my illustration. Okay. His head spinning, Drayden followed the ginger giant back the way he had came up Broadway toward Wall Street. He tried to say something to her before they left, but she'd covered his mouth with her banana hands and instructed him to follow her without looking like he was following her. So this is when he meets Kim Craig, who's described as like this giant redheaded woman. I highlighted her banana hands and drew salad fingers saying, that's my cousin. <laughs> I wrote anime explanation. Anime explanation. Which is where it's just like a, it's so on point with not just what happened, but how and why and how the characters feel that it doesn't feel like real dialogue. It's just like, thank you. I guess I was too dumb to figure that out on my own. I'll just say none of the dialogue's good. Yeah. It's all, like, very, I learned it in a book kind of dialogue. I just, right. it just didn't feel natural. Even their, like, slang stupid. I'm sorry. The slang, schgat? What? Right. I kind of like calling people to flunk. You flunk. Right. Like, that's kind of cool. I like that. <laughs> that's also an actual word, so. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it just, and then, um, it was always like, when he's like, okay, good move, everyone. That, that specifically, it, was, it just, it felt like how a, a lower level manager learns to talk to people and then doesn't really learn from anything else. Cause then he's like, you know, thanks everyone specifically for their strengths. It's almost like he's arranging it as like, say the positive thing, say the thing you need them to, to correct and then end with a positive thing, you know? Yeah. That, that uh, compliment sandwich, whatever it's called. It's just, that's what it felt like. Like every time we talked to them, it's like, okay, thanks for saving me back there. In this very, and he explains in a very specific way how they did it. It just, uh, it just, it just was so stilted. Yeah. And I love good dialogue, and I don't want to toot my own horn, but I write really good dialogue. So when I like come across like particularly bad dialogue, I'm just like fixing it in my head, like how can I make this so they don't sound like wooden people, make them real people. Yeah. Are you looking at Fablehaven again? Because that has really excellent... I mean, it's got everything. <laughs> <laughs> it's got excellent dialogue. Like how, like how we like stop everything when we're doing the podcast oh, yeah. and just read back and yeah. forth. Yeah, so writing banter is like one of my favorite things to do. Yes. It's so great, especially <laughs> when you when you know your characters well enough that you can get that pattern going of like... Like they're, they're, it's almost like a like a song in terms of it's like how, how it bounces between the, the characters and stuff. And, and this if you're is... writing well enough... You don't even need to have, like, the dialogue indicators on there. So yep. you know exactly yep. who's saying what. Yep. Yeah. That's not here. No. Uh, I was so sick of the back and forth of the love triangle by chapter seven that I wrote, I don't care, just have a boat orgy and get on with it. <laughs> I think if everyone had just stripped down and gotten busy for a night, this whole book it would have just been, like, so much relieved tension and nonsense. It'd be funny if you said that and they're all standing there staring at you and Charlie's got his clothes off like, yeah! <laughs> Let's go! Because <laughs> he totally would. Right. He's the one who almost approaches having a care. Well, I think Drayden's pretty fleshed out. It's, I'm just, it's just, he doesn't write yeah. well. Yeah, Charlie would have been there like, 
I'm hornier than a brass section of an orchestra. I'm hornier than a rhino. (laughs) That's not too hard. It only has one horn. Shut up. So my comparative literature section is while I was reading this for the podcast, I was reading a book called Dry by uh, Neil Shusterman and his son Jared. His son's like 20 something. So it's not like, it's not like my 10 year old wrote a book. It's like, I wanted to be hippos. Right. I'm like, okay, I'll fit them in. No, make them the main characters. (laughs) 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 And it's a book about how over the last couple of years, there have been like severe droughts in like California and stuff. And then one day further up the river in like uh, Arizona and Nevada, they decide that they are going to like restrict the water flow down towards California, which basically just puts a huge portion of California just immediately dry. Mm -hmm. And the whole book just takes place over a week of these characters, like watching as everybody freaks out trying to get the last bottled water from Costco. And then, you know, they're negotiating. Like there's these like really horrific moments where you realize that a teenage girl is going to prostitute herself to get a bottle of water. And you're like, this is horrifying. But also you're like, I believe this. I believe it. how quickly things could disintegrate when you have all of this, like, you know, such a vital like thing that you take for granted and stuff. And it's really interesting when I was reading that versus reading this, how I really believed that like apocalypse, even though it wasn't really an apocalypse, it was just a disaster that only lasted for like a week or two, but the characters and the progression of things and their priorities and like explaining like how the dehydration was affecting their bodies and stuff was all so much more believable than this. So this is the part where I start getting frustrated with the book. Okay. Chapter 10, Family Reunion. Chapter 11, the group sets out and the guardians don't take orders well. Chapter 12, I don't know, boat stuff. Chapter 13, flirting. Chapter 14, Drayden spots a young boy on the coastline and commands Captain Lindrick to investigate, but the captain refuses. A few hours later, a storm picks up and the ship capsizes, forcing the expedition crew ashore. I wish I could tell you that those four chapters mattered, but they didn't. With with the exception of, like... The, gu- the guys not taking the orders when they were specifically told they'd be in charge of the expeditions. Kind of like wait this mission's hinky what's going on yes here? okay whatever when the whole reveal at the end i was like i still don't get it so anyway oh yeah go ahead yeah but yeah that's the only bit of information that you need to know which is something that it happens a few times before anything really comes of it that it doesn't it's like it's fine catrice is super into eugene and keeps doing like this like i don't know why you're getting jealous and it's like because you don't talk to anybody suddenly you're talking to this guy constantly yeah it's about context here if you were talking to charlie all the time yeah, yeah. I don't think he'd have gotten as upset but yeah i oh, just i just didn't like but i just want to mention that they talk to von brooks right before they go out on the expedition and he's like if you fail to reach boston your families will return to the dorms and drayden goes no he wished he could dra- grab von brooks by the throat how could they be so evil he, they made you go through a room with axes falling down. Yeah, first, yeah, th- there are people. two things here. One, they've already done way worse things. Two, they just got to the dorms. Sending them back a couple days later is not going to affect them at all. No, they haven't, like, established anything yet. That's <laughs> not it's a, like, like, I had a job I was starting. Right? It's like, that's the thing that makes you think that they're evil? Yeah. The And then they go back to their established homes. How do you like that? How do you like them, Apple? Oh, no! Well, Sydney acted like, like, oh, God. Uh, they call Eugene huge, and so I drew a tiny little Donald Trump. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of sad when your romantic rival's named Eugene. 
He doesn't even go by Gene. It's huge. You. That's weird. Yeah, I kept thinking, thinking that too. Huge. I did learn one thing in this book, which is the uh, the uh, conversion rate of knots to miles per hour. So I don't even remember. Shows how interested I was. Chapter 15. The group takes refuge in an abandoned state reservation info center. They prep supplies for the remainder of the journey on foot. Drayden, in a power move, secretly has all maps but his burned, so he can claim leadership of the group by pretending to have memorized the route and therefore being the only option for arriving in Boston. Yeah. The next day, the group heads out, and at one point, a man rushes past them. Uh, one of the guardians shoots and misses, and they're instructed to stay watchful as they continue. Uh, chapter 16. After some more relationship drama, the group stumbles upon a small, struggling community led by a man named Marty. <laughs> but he's, they say his name word like Marty. Like, Marty. The Boston accent still exists. <laughs> Thank God the important things survived. Yeah. But he's Marty. <laughs> The Guardians go in weapons drawn, but Drayden smooth talks their way to some free food. The Guardians suggest they flee, noticing movement in the nearby houses, and after they leave, Drayden notices how poor quality the food they were given was. They continue on towards their next landmark, the town of New Bedford. Chapter 17. The group arrives in New Bedford, and upon noticing signs of life, Drayden tells the group they'll do things his way. No weapons. Captain Lindrick concedes, and the group is immediately run out of the neighborhood by archers. They hole up in a laundromat for the night, and in the morning, Captain Lindrick reasserts his leadership. Drayden does not accept, and Lindrick starts a fistfight that ends in him pinning Drayden to the ground with a knife at his throat, and the rest of the group pointing guns at each other. Eugene sides with the teens. Chapter 18, the three older guardians leave the rest of the group, who become convinced they're going to ambush and kill them because reasons? I didn't make that logical leap. I could not figure that out. They were already shooting at them? Well, because here's the thing. So, let me finish this. Our heroes decide to make for the town of Bourne next. On the way, they cross a river by foot, and Catrice is almost swept away. The group recovers and makes it to the other side, where Drayden notices some muddy footprints leading down the road. So here's the thing. Effectively, there's been this power struggle of whose strategy do we want? Do we want the very militaristic strategy, or do we want Drayden's, like, peace and love sort of strategy, right? And the Guardians have established that they're in the lead, even though they... But ultimately, it hasn't amounted to a ton besides just a disagreement in strategy. They hole up in the laundromat, and then Lindrick says, okay, this was a problem. I'm going to take control. Drayden says, no, I don't want you to lead. I want to lead. And so then they get in a fist fight, and then everybody is, like, holding guns at each other, right? And then Eugene sways the numbers by siding with the kids, and then the other three leave. And one of them says, you're dead. And then they leave. And then from that point on, the initiates are convinced that the guardians are totally evil and looking to kill them. Who put that idea into their head? I don't know. It was Eugene. Was it? Yes. I thought it was the author. He's like, we have, he's like, because he's all like, oh, right, we should be going out the back door. I think so. Especially since what they're, I think this was their whole plan all along. Right, Which but makes I, no sense. Right, but that's the thing. It's like I'm, I'm not. <laughs> I don't okay. understand. Because uh, Eugene's like, we have to be careful because these are seasoned guardians who like. So I think it was Eugene who puts the idea into their heads that now they're in a cat and mouse situation with these guys, especially since they don't know where they're going, and Drayden's the one who knows where they're going. So two pages into chapter eighteen, it says, "For starters, we need to get out of this building without the guardians ambushing us, and we'll find more food. Then we need to make it to Boston without them following us." They don't have any maps, Eugene. What's their next move? Eugene has not said anything at this point. Um. Drayden has already made this conclusion. And then Eugene says, I doubt they'll try to kill us when we walk out of here because it would be an emotional, impetuous move and they're smarter than that. They'll evaluate the situation first. 
Since I don't think they know the way to Boston, they'll likely allow us to leave and trail us. I could be wrong about that, though. Lindrick studied the map before we left New America. He may know the way or another way. He's been letting you lead the way, but he may just not have shown his hand. He hasn't said anything about it to us. If they do know the route, they may attempt to beat us to Boston. He's actually real smart. We still need to be careful. Uh, Lieutenant Orte is a hothead, as you can tell despite why I said there's always a chance he goes rogue, waiting to pick us off with a rifle when we walk out the door. But Drayden had already decided that they were going to try and kill them. He's an ambush. He didn't say kill. They could be ambushed and then, like, frog-marched all the way to Boston. Like, okay, where do we go now, smart <laughs> map boy? You know? Yeah. I don't know. You could be right, and I could not... I could have misattributed it. Either way, I didn't get it. It didn't well, feel... Well, I didn't either. I don't understand this. Why is this the plan to, like... Was the whole boat crash plan, too? Why did they need to be separated like that? I don't get it. It makes zero effing sense unless the whole unless the third book ties it together. The third book shouldn't tie it together. That portion, this book is responsible for. You know, like there are certain things that you can push to the next book for an explanation. That's okay. Like the some of the big mysteries of the world, the explanation of its own book should be resolved in its own book. I know, but <laughs> a lot of people don't do that. Well, he should. Have. <laughs> That's why I got annoyed with Maggie Steve Otter's Raven Cycle. <laughs> I was like, ugh, and like stopped reading. Well, I finished the first book, and I'm not going to go back. So, I don't get it. I don't get why any of this, from, like, here on out, I don't understand, like, what anybody's plan is. No! It was even more confusing than the Pirates of the Caribbean movies, where they keep switching sides. You know, how I told you how that irritates me every time. Right. Always, and how there was bits of that in Fablehaven, but not as bad. Right. I'm at least entertained by that, though. Because right. they're good actors, and yes. there's, like, there's a kraken, and... Because you, you just throw up your hands and go, whatever, fine, just do it, I'll watch it. Right, it's just like, <laughs> just be pirates, okay. Yeah, <laughs> fine. But this, you don't even have anything else to fall back on for enjoyment. Because the characters always suck. So I don't understand the plot, or the plan, and the characters are even not... Even the reveal, I was like, I still don't understand! Yeah, so chapter 19, Fishing Jamboree... Chapter 20. <laughs> Chapter 20 has been replaced with an algebra story problem. Yes! That's what it reminded me of, too. It's straight up just, how do we figure out how to cross this river? Well, we need to figure out the distance. Let's use our shadows and do a conversion rate of the shadows and then get a tree with the shadows the right Like, that's the whole chapter is just a story problem. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's like it's like he had this extra problem he wanted to stick into the initiation, yes, didn't know where to put like, it, and it then he's like, like we're just going like to make it part of their yeah. survival. Yeah. Chapter 21. Drayden is now suspicious of Eugene after the former guardian pretended to be unable to move their tree bridge to prevent people from following on it behind them. The group camps for the night and are awakened by gunshots and grenades. They flee with only the barest of supplies. Chapter 22, the group finds an abandoned store, which they raid for water bottles and a metal bowl to boil river water in. They are briefly held up by a pack of wolves, but an unlucky deer provides a diversion for their escape. Chapter 23, the group reaches Plymouth and decides to find a car, but they can't locate any keys to make the cars go. Charlie finds a creek where the group is almost attacked by a mama bear protecting her cubs. They take their water and leave, then boil it and spend the night in a moldy hotel. 
Drayden continues to lament his relationship with Catrice, just in case you'd forgotten about that subplot. Chapter 24, the group locates a bike shop and each teen grabs a ride, though Charlie is stuck with a kid's bike. Because he doesn't know how to ride a bike with chains or what was it? He doesn't know how to switch, like switching gears is like difficult. Couldn't someone just teach him? I don't know how to switch gears either, but I think if someone showed me, I wouldn't have to ride a child's bike. Right. Also, they kept making their first round of jokes is about how it's a girl's bike. And I was like, the funnier part is that it's a tiny bike and a huge guy. Let's, yes! let's do that. That's his that's knees, the interesting. His like, knees are around his ears yeah, as he's pedaling along. I was that's like, the funny. girl's bike joke is like lazy. But the image of like, it's like it's like the bear on the tricycle sort of yes, thing. Yes, the like, bear on the tricycle. <laughs> that's what I was picturing. He's like, shut up. <laughs> that part's funny. Yeah. Drayden is now showing, showing signs of sickness, which have been increasing for a little while. The group covers more distance towards Boston, and when they stop and make a fire, they are passed by a mean-looking group of motorists waving the Bureau flag. It felt like it felt like the Confederate flag, didn't it? Oh, right. <laughs> didn't it? I, I had to ask the book to stop when some of the, the, the Catrice will-they-won't-they they nonsense. Why does everybody think I have a thing with Eugene? I don't. I don't think she realized it. Right. You know? Like, she wasn't consciously, like... But it's just like, oh, I've I've liked one guy so far, but then here's this guy who likes all the things I'm into, and he's like, all oh, this. Like, that's interesting. I want to hang out with him and find out more what's going on with right. that. And then she's really dishonest about it. The I thought yeah. she was really dishonest about it. You'll see. It was yeah. a bunch of bullcrap. Yeah. Just for two pages of gaslighting him. Yeah. About his, and it wasn't even like, okay, I know you've like glossed over the relationship stuff because it sucks, but I do want to address it. Yes. Because it's, like, Drayden's seeing stuff, but he's like, ah, I th- I'm probably reading crap into this that isn't here, because he's kind of, de- right. you know, he has that sensible voice there that's like, well, maybe. Right. Um, but he's got Sydney, who's also like, no, nah, it's bullcrap how she's acting. But Sydney also wants to get with him, so of course she'd be doing this. But Charlie's like, no, nah, he stole your girlfriend, man. It's, she's stolen. That's that's it. You can say goodbye to that, because it's over. But he's also and Charlie super dumb. <laughs> and Charlie doesn't have a horse in that rip, but he knows... He's dumb, but I feel like he has more, like, social experience than Drayden does. You know, I'm sure he's had girlfriends and stuff. And right. So, I, I, so it, it wasn't just his perception of the situation. And then her saying, like, oh, yeah, I'm sure Sydney was the devil on your shoulder. I'm like, Charlie was, too. Charlie was saying stuff, too. Yeah. It was not just my perception. Yeah. So, chapter 19 ends with a gunshot rang in the distance. And then chapter 20, they're like... Oh geez, we gotta move, and then almost immediately, Drayden is like asking Catrice questions about their relationship, <laughs> and I just wrote a gunshot. Let me ask my girlfriend why she's talking to other guys. Like, <laughs> why would that be your trigger? That re- ah, literally, <laughs> <laughs> bang! Why don't you love me? What? <laughs> Story problem. That was so freaking goofy. I know. I was just like, this feels like I'm in math class again. Did they talk about driving in the initiation? Like, is that a thing that they can do in the dorms? Do they have cars? No, they got around by bikes. That's why Charlie was so stoked at the prospect of getting to drive. Okay. He's like, oh, because I think there's buses, but none of them drive the buses. Yeah. And I think there's military vehicles that the guard, because yeah. so Char- uh, Charlie, Eugene knows how to drive. Well, this is where I made my prediction of, I bet Drayden has Aru. Oh, right. Yeah. Chapter 25. The group comes across a shanty town with a woman and a young boy, and Drayden decides they should ask for food Capricorn Anderson style. No weapons, believing in the good of humanity. And look, it worked out. The group is promptly surrounded by gun-toting motorists who injure Eugene as he escapes. 
The rest of the teens are tied up and told to wait for the group's leader, Gabriel. Drayden continues to display his his sickness. Uh, Charlie makes an offhanded comment about his arrow vaccine being blue-green, which the others agree to. Drayden had received a white vaccine, which is when you realize that he was never vaccinated, and he has arrow. Chapter 26, Eugene visits in the night, kills the initiate's captor, and helps them escape. They retrieve their weapons and cover some distance from the camp when they hear a woman scream. Chapters 27, another shantytown, this one the site of a massacre. All the men were just recently killed by the rogue guardians who wanted food and directions. Drayden's group asks for food as well, but because they're nice, a six-year-old named Susie gives them some supplies. They continue on until they reach a farmhouse that seems well-kept and decide to check its barn for vehicles. Why did they bother setting up some guy named Gabriel that we're not going to meet? Maybe he shows up in book three. But doesn't feel like a put a pin in it. It feels like I was going to go this way and then I decided I'm going to go a different way. That's what a lot, that's kind of the difference is like whether or not it's like a, you can convey that there's a lingering question or you convey that I started something and then I went somewhere else. And that's what a lot of these feel like as opposed to a, you'll find out in book three. I feel like it is going to be, you'll find out in book three. Okay. Is it better? Or it might just be like, just like the guardian dealing with drugs who was hunting right. Drayden and then nothing came of that. I was waiting for that. I was waiting for one of their guardians on the trip to be that guardian who uh, caught him in, in a wasn't. Right. And I'm like, oh. Right. The more that you can condense things like that, usually, the stronger it ends up being because you're not spreading all of your information and characterization so thin. Like, I'd rather have, like, four well-defined characters than, like, 15 one-dimensional do you want to talk about the time that Sydney almost mattered she to the She almost plot? got to do with it. They had this whole plan that she was going to ask the mullet dude who's guarding them if she can pee. And then she was going to like knock him out or something and then untie everybody. It was something like that. So she was going to have a hero moment and get to do it. So she's in the middle of being like, yeah, can I go pee? And he's all like, yeah, I'm a creeper. And like starts untying her or he's going to. And that's when Eugene comes in like, and it's like, why have him like show up then? let her have her hero moment and maybe they like they find him like in a ditch bleeding or something you know instead of it really irritated me because it's it's like okay see we kind of gave her something to do almost and she kind of addresses that as they're walking along she's like i was about to endanger myself to do this thing and you guys are all talking about catrice and they're like oh well you're cool too she goes oh don't give me that bullshitty like oh okay well now that you've asked for it we'll give you validation that's not even real. You know what? Forget it. Forget I said anything. And that was the moment where it's like, okay, she's almost a real character. <laughs> Sydney in that moment. I feel like she knows that she's trapped in a, a story with subpar characterization. And she's, she's like, like, can you just let me? I'm ready. I can be a character. <laughs> okay, it's clear I'm not the endgame person in this triangle. So why am I here? It's like... <laughs> Hook me up with Jacob Black. It's, over like, and... it's like she... <laughs> <laughs> it's like she auditioned for the role and then she got the final script and it's way different than what she signed up for. Oh, like what But she's like to... contracted for like the whole season or like the whole what season happened to Evangeline Lilly in the in the Hobbit movies. She's like, don't make me like a love triangle oh, type thing. And they're yeah. like, oh, we won't. And then they did it. And she's like, oh. Yeah, man. I feel bad for a lot of the people making the that movie. Because... Yeah, Ian McKellen just burst into tears in yeah. one scene because he's just hang- yeah. he was just acting with golf balls on sticks. Yeah, and a lot of people blame Peter Jackson, but he was really frustrated with it as well because he kept trying to fix it and make it what everybody wanted, and then the studio would be like, "No, no, 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 you have to do it this way." And he's like, "No, this is we don't have time to do that. They don't want to do that. This is what's going to work." And they're like, "No, no, 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 no." And so he's like, 
And now my name's going to be on it. Everybody thinks that I ruined it, but I tried so hard. (laughs) They're going to say, oh, you didn't have enough money from his Lord of the Rings. So you had to do this. He's like, it's not like that. Right. (laughs) He's like, do you see how much weight I lost making this movie? I know, right? (laughs) (laughs) No, Lord of the Rings was clearly a passion project for him. Yeah. Well, it just also had studio money behind it. Yeah. But Hobbit, it's rough to watch. I try to watch it. And I'm just like, I just don't love it with the same... Because it's clear the amount of love that went into Lord of the Rings didn't yeah. go into The Hobbit. Yeah. Well, it's like, you can see all the parts where it's like, he really w- was trying to put that in there. And then people would keep preventing it from happening. Yeah. And like, they would have to like, change the script the same day that they were filming the script. Which has never worked, ever, I don't think. <laughs> it's not a good sign. <laughs> Um, okay, should we get back to this? Yeah, so chapter 26 ends with a woman's blood-curling scream suddenly pierced the morning silence, and then it immediately, like, chapter 27 immediately begins with the characters, like, discussing the scream before they head out to check it out. And then, like, previously they heard a gunshot, and they're like, did anybody hear where it came from and stuff like that? Just once, I would love if one of these, like, cliffhanger chapters ended with, or, like, began with, they took off running. Like, it's always like, let's talk logistics before we do anything here. <laughs> but it was a gunshot. <laughs> Fucking move. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How many F's has that been now? I think I've done more than my three. That might have been your third. I don't know. I feel like it's been more. I don't know. You want to just rattle some off? (laughs) I'll try to find different pitch dings and make a song out of it. No, you'll just bring up another plot point that irritates me and I'll say it then. Okay. I was disappointed that we didn't get to see what Gabriel was about. The amount of barbarity displayed on this journey was enough to last a lifetime. A battle raged in the real world between brutality and humaneness. Brutality seemed to be winning. I wrote, thanks, Pastor. There were a lot of really ham-fisted moral statements in this of, like, peace is better than violence and all of the... And it's like, you could show us these things, and you kind of are, and then you're immediately explaining them afterwards. Yeah. Which is kind of what I was saying about the anime thing, because I've watched a lot of, or read a lot of things where it's like, here's the action, and then here's somebody describing the action as it's happening, and I'm like, just let the action be the action! I can figure it out. Yeah. I can follow a punch. <laughs> uh, why Why did the six-year-old leave all, like lead all these strangers through a bunch of massacred bodies to the food when all of the like women I, adults were like... Because she's a plot moppet. Is that a, ch- a trope? Is, yes. is plot moppet a thing? Yes, look it up. Okay, I like the name a lot. <laughs> it's the child who always, who's like overly affectionate right away with complete strangers. Plot Muppet! Plot Muppet! <laughs> yep. They're featured a lot in romance novels, particularly. That's where I've heard the trope of the Plot Muppet, who usually brings the two characters together, who, like, it's like, okay, how am I going to get them to hook up? And here's the Plot Muppet, like, but I love the both of you, so you should love each other! You oh, know? yeah. So, Plot Muppet. Okay. The child who inexplicably loves them on sight and is like, I'll show you to the foods! Yeah. 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 Chapter 28. The barn is empty, and when they go to leave, they're, uh... Nope. Chapter 27. No. Chapter 28. What? <laughs> it all becomes all right. the same. Susie gives them supplies, and then they find a farmhouse that seems well-kept and decide to check its barn for some vehicles. Chapter 28. The barn is empty, and when they go to leave, they're stopped by an older man with a shotgun named Professor Worth. Drayden uses the power of friendship to convince Worth not only to give them fresh food, but to drive them in his jeep to an intersection near Boston, where the teens will make a final stand against the Guardians. Chapter 29. Drayden has a plan. Chapter 30. The trap is set. Cabbage explodes. 
<laughs> Chapter 31. The plan is put in place. Basically, the enemy guardians are led into a swamp where the teens have concealed a mud trap, a mud pit to trap them. Uh, two of them fall in, but Captain Lindrick manages not to. For... Uh, he had a, he got shot in the foot by, I almost called her Lindsay. Right. By Sydney. And so he was going slower. So slower, sees those chuckleheads fall in, and then he doesn't fall in. They knew that was going to be an issue, so uh, Sydney pushes him in. From a nearby roof, Charlie and Eugene debate shooting Lindrick until Eugene reveals himself as a double-crosser. Can no. You... What? Gasp. <laughs> Conveniently, the plot had put Drayden on the same roof, so he incapacitates Eugene with a deafening shot into the sky. This gets Lindrick's attention, and then that's when he gets pushed into the pit. It doesn't inexplicably. Like, Professor Worth even said in the car, like, keep an eye on that guy. There's something not right. There's something going on with that boy about Eugene. And he'd already been suspicious of him right, for a but while. It was, it was... So he's like, I need to double check and make sure. So I gotta make... So that's why last minute he changes the plan right. so he doesn't run through the yeah. thing with Sydney. But he it... goes up to the roof to make sure. Right. But it was like presented as this whole like two chapter like he's got a secret alternate plan. What's it gonna be? And it's just he's going to the roof to watch Eugene. Like he could have just like... The reader didn't need that to be a mystery. Kinda. I mean, if they wanted it to be a surprise, like, he's been a double agent this whole time. Like, anyone who laughs that hard at Charlie's jokes and says, you guys are hysterical, is clearly a liar. When they go inside the, or when uh, Professor Worth shows them their jeeps, it says, uh, massive tires, mounted spotlights, a hulking, mean-looking green truck stood inside, and I wrote, it's Bigfoot! This is a monster truck rally! Sunday, Sunday, Sunday! (laughs) (laughs) Then all of a sudden, they didn't need to worry about the expedition. Because they were at a monster truck rally. Okay, so how do they set up the trap? They have set us up the trap. There's like an existing mud pit, uh-huh. right? And they put the shower liner, and then they cover it so that it's with dis- like leaves and disguised crack. so that when they step on. Here's the thing about the shower liner. Do you know how they get the shower liner? They stop at a store like 15 chapters ago, and Sydney says, "What about this shower liner?" And then puts it in her bag, and I'm like, "Hey, it came back, didn't it?" It did come back, but it was, like, he, I bet you that he wrote the trap and was like, I need to give them a shower liner. Hey, how about the shower liner? <laughs> like it was... I thought they'd use the shower liner to, like, catch rain in the night or something. And if maybe someone had said that, then it'd be like, yeah. oh, okay, that's why we have it. And then it was like, well, we still have the shower liner. It hasn't rained, but we Yeah, like, if, if there had been any sequence where it made sense for them to grab it and use it initially or like grab it because they were just grabbing random things and then it was one of the things that we became could use useful it to build shelter yeah but it, it's, it's the one random item that they pick up and then it doesn't come back again until then and so it's like really that's too obvious that that's the only reason that existed and then uh he had to make sure that catrice and uh sydney looked similar enough from the back because she goes running towards she has to like lead them towards where the pit is and then be far enough ahead to go hide, and then Catrice is on the other side of it, so they see her and keep running. Yeah, they see it as all one continuous run. They don't realize that it's, yeah. But this limping MF-er kind of wrecked it a little bit. (sighs) Chapter 32. Eugene reveals the truth. He's Captain Lindrick's son, and he's been playing the teens this whole time. Egads! They throw him into the mud pit. (laughs) Yeah. Lindrick warns them that they don't understand the true meaning of the mission and things will go poorly in Boston without the Guardians. The teens ignore him and head to Boston. Chapter 33. They enter Boston, which, unlike New America, has clear entry and exit procedures, meaning it isn't quarantined. Drayden is given a clean bill of health. He has the common cold, not Eru. The group reports their story to an official who then provides them refreshments and a place to sleep until the next day when they will presumably meet with the head of Boston. Chapter 34. The final chapter. 
The group gets an audience with the heads of Boston who tell them the truth. Although most of the world died in the confluence, enough survived that many cities worldwide have been able to thrive and develop, including having inner city commerce. New America is known as a corrupt and hostile colony and the biggest exporter of drugs in the world. Boston, on the other hand, has successfully merged capitalism and communism. As you do. <laughs> right? As Which you can totally do in one generation. Right, because right, no one's been able to figure it out for hundreds of years. But they got it. They, they got it. Because they're wicked smack. They're wicked smack. Because <laughs> <laughs> they got the Duncans. Will Hunting is actually the guy who like... <laughs> yes! Will Hunting totally put this together. It has his fingerprints all over it. Uh. The group is given time to recuperate until they can be boated back to New America, where they will have to decide how they want to tackle its issues. It is also revealed that the Guardian somehow escaped the mud pit. Catrice explains to Drayden that she was just learning how to make friends with Eugene, and she didn't realize Drayden was so insecure. That night, instead of going to make things up with his girlfriend, Drayden spends the night with Sydney. Oh yeah, Sydney was there the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was really frustrated with how the two girls were portrayed in this yes, because they, I hated that they could have had they could have been something could have been a contender instead I'm just a nobody two dimensional character in a teen dystopian novel that was written way after the trend of dystopian novels. Okay, so I'm fine with Eugene being the double crosser. That's kind of expected. Right. The fact that they do the, I'm his son. Didn't you know that nobody has two first names? And Charlie and Arnold's like, screw yeah, you. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm just like, we, we didn't need to go the son route. Two we didn't have to go. Yeah, we didn't have to do that. It was not necessary. What do we know at the end of this book? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing makes sense. The corrupt government was corrupt, which we knew all along. But they're super duper corrupt. But I remember thinking at the end of Initiation, it's going to be so funny if the whole rest of the world's like, yeah, we're fine. We're sharing our resources, all sources of you weirdos are all locked up in there doing the To be totally what. honest, that's something that I want to see more often in like apocalyptic fiction. And the fact yeah. that it happened in this one is kind of disappointing because... I... You went somewhere there was life and everybody moving along just fine. Yeah. The number of threads in here that are set up and I really can't... I can understand, like, the fact that we're going back to New America in the third one, like, explains why there's, like, the stuff with, like, Kim Craig and stuff. Because, like, obviously, if they go back, they're going to, like, talk to the Resistance, and then they're going to figure out the plot to overthrow or whatever. But I just feel like there's so many threads that I don't, I don't think, unless the book is, like, twice as long as these, I'm not sure that there's any real logical way or reason for them to exist all in the same third book. Is it going to be three? Do we know that? I just assume that it would be, you know. Maze Runner was more than three. Maze Runner was a, a trilogy and then two prequels. Oh, okay. Never mind then. You're right. It could be more than that. I don't see anything that explicitly states. Okay. Yeah. Um, I just assumed because the whole idea of the teen dystopian series is always three. Yeah. So yeah, that was the initiation and the expedition. I gave the first one like a, <laughs> like a two and a half. I gave the second one like a one and a half. I'm going to be honest, I was really not feeling it. I'm fine with you putting it at like two stars when you do the, the uh, yeah. main. Because I did put it at three, but just like a low three. I think it was because I had this euphoria of being done with it. Like, yay! <laughs> three stars because yeah. it ended. And it just, some of it may be that just dystopia teen novels aren't my genre. It's, it's not my bag. I feel like if you're into that thing, you might like it. I'm into that thing. And you didn't like it. I didn't like it. I <laughs> really like... Some people really like it, and they really like the um, relationship dynamics, and you hated that. Yeah. 
you hate relationships. No, I actually really no. Like, I'm teasing you, you. Right. I know. Because like when it's when it's done well. Yeah, I think it's on record for one of the previous episodes when I talked about how I finished Eleanor and Park and I adored it. It's so good. So, we did it. Yeah. <laughs> so ultimately, like, it's not. I wouldn't say it's the worst thing that we've read for the podcast. I mean, it's just it's just middle middle of the road. It's yeah. it's mediocre. Yeah, and I think I think the bigger thing for the second one is the fact that. And we were sent this for an honest review, yeah. and this is the honest review. Yeah. Though we are tempering ourselves a little bit. Well, okay, so imagine imagine that the second book just existed without the first book. I think I would have liked it a bit more because I wouldn't have put close to 700 pages worth of reading into this series to then still have such a meh feeling about it. Yeah. So I might think that might have, like, kind of colored it. That, yeah. Because... That's, I was trying to approach it that way, thinking just, okay, right. just the experience of this book, even though I'd so re- recently read the first one. Yeah. Because, like, I was thinking about this the other night, like, when a lot of people badmouth sequels, and I think it totally makes sense when the sequel wasn't planned, and, like, they put out the first one, they're like, yeah. that worked, let's do another one. That often doesn't work well. When there is, an, a, like, a plan for a series, a lot of the time I find the first book one of the weaker ones just because it takes so... It, it's working so hard to set things up that I kind of like the, like the later ones where you can just really dig into the characters yeah. and the world and things like that. That didn't really happen here, and no. so it that kind of bummed me out is, like, now we have an opportunity to really, like, flesh out the characters and, and, and get deep into, like, their personal states. Like, the and... whole... Like, Catrice said she was... She, like, barely remembered any of the trip... Because some of it, so much of it is triggering of like her abuse yeah. at home. Why couldn't we have seen right? Some that of could that? have been really interesting. Character. Like if he followed her into the hotel room at night, it was like, hey, no, come on, what, yeah. what's really going on? What's up? And then she's just kind of like on loads about it, and they just kind of have this like nice bonding moment. And it's like maybe like get real. Like does Eugene make you feel safer? Right. Because of your fear. Right. And like kind of just have this. It could have been. It could have been so much better. Right, and that could have provided the opportunity for not not a redemption arc in the sense that she's like a villain, but in the sense of like starting to work through the problems that prevented her from kind of really stepping up and being the character that like obviously with her intelligence she's capable of being. Right. Give her the opportunity to be like, you know what, I'm gonna do this. And this is this is my chance, and you know, like I... if she'd been the one to come up with the plan for what Sydney can do. And then, like, saying, like, oh, yeah, you'd want me to get in danger. And her going, like, I know you can do this. Right. And it's, like, this great, like, moment between the yeah. two of them. And then don't have Eugene come in last minute and deus ex machina them out of there. Right. It's, they get themselves out. Yeah. Like, that's how, see, like, I'm, like, rewriting it in my head, like, how I would fix it. Right. And those, it just, I don't. I... Right. Like, what, why did he bother to save them and then betray them a few chapters later? I don't know. <laughs> like. I wish, I. I feel like he knows, he gets basic storytelling where you need to have a antagonist, protagonist, there has to be conflict. So it's like, how do I do that? And it's just the antagonist has never, like Alex in the first one is not really up to snuff. Yeah. It's like the weakest part of the story. Yeah, he's just dumb and there's no additional like. Mm-mm. And then this one, it's like, okay, the antagonist is a, quite a bit smarter, but his motivations are weird. Like, Alex, you, I get his motivation of, like, being the friend left behind. Yeah. I get that. Yeah. I wish we'd played with that more. Yeah. I wish there'd been more, like, bittersweet moments between him and, and Drayden. Right, because you... I was waiting for that. Because you don't get the reveal of 
the exact circumstances of why their relationship fell through until like way later a few chapters before he dies yeah so it's like it's too late to do anything with that because now they're on a timer doing all of these and like it's just like little character moments that could have been tweaked that would have made this work a little bit better Mm -hmm. because like the like the story world that works just fine no problems with the setting and the world building like i said that's like a strength of this and drayden is a realistic fleshed out character i just wish he wasn't surrounded by cardboard right you know imagine imagine if when they got captured what if we left the situation the same except we flipped the roles of eugene and sydney what if she had actually been the one who like came and rescued them yes. like she proved that like she could survive without everybody else and then come back and get everybody and actually be the hero that could have been cool for her yeah um she just needed something to and do. then that, that would have made that would have made sense for the fact that eugene like i don't like i said i don't understand why he rescues them and then betrays them i wish he would have and and if you're gonna like yeah if you're gonna have him be like double agent have him like actually start to like them like he still goes through this stuff but he's more conflicted about it and maybe like a few times where it seems like he's gonna tell them something yeah. and then doesn't. Yeah. Just something like that. Yeah. Like just little character moments that kind of hint at stuff without being so blatantly obvious. Like, ha, Charlie, you're so funny, and right. I'm really good at Stegosaurus calculus. <laughs> the, I don't remember what it is. What the heck is it? I don't know. <laughs> it's just there's the bones of something interesting here. Like, how they thought Brontosaurus was a thing forever, and it turns out it wasn't. They had, like, bones for different things. So <laughs> Right. It, 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 that's what we have here. We have a Brontosaurus, which just makes it more frustrating, because you you know it could have been good. Yeah. Okay, that's it. Hello, fellow kids. This is hosted by Mara and Josh, produced by Josh. Uh, music provided by Ben Ash. Visit him at benash.com if you want to contact us, hfkpodcast at gmail.com, or on... Twitter or Instagram at HFK Podcast. We are on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, Google, Radio Public, basically everywhere that I don't have to pay extra to host us on. <laughs> um, please go ahead and leave us a uh, a review or a, a, a comment. Even like we've said this before, even if it's not a five star review, it at least tells us what's working and what's not working, so we know how to tailor it for the best listener experience yeah um we're not going to totally just change the show but if there if there's like too much synopsis (laughs) yeah like if that like if there are enough people that it's say like that's valid and we'll we'll take it into consideration but we can't adjust things if we don't know how people are feeling about it right but i think that's everything so we'll be back on the first of the month with a regular episode and everything will be hunky-dory normal from there thank you so much for listening Bye. Bye.